proper. The female to my right proclaimed, We ain't good enough to be near her highness. Ain't she heading for prison same as us? The rummy to my left hacked. I thought she was going to spit. Instead, she vomited, barely avoiding my patent cold skin button-top shoes. I jerked my knees together and attempted to protect the entire ensemble with my white kidskin gloves. The creatures to either side yanked on the arm chains and roared. Amidst this jollity, the aroma inside the van grew. It didn't improve during the next thirty miles to Sherburn. I squeezed my eyes shut and tried not to breathe. There weren't any windows in the van to see the prison gates, but I knew when we'd arrived. The rear door sprang open. Out! yelled a monstrous woman in a black uniform dress. You're now in the hands of Bertha Getz. She smiled, a ghastly smile. Chief Matron and your welcoming committee, I'm here to say one thing. She paused to be certain of our attention. She certainly had mine. The downward path and blighted hopes ain't nothing like what you'll see from me if you don't knuckle under and learn the Sherburn rules. Fast. I shuddered. Bertha. Big Bertha. Man-sized biceps strained the sleeves of her uniform. Her bun of hair was pulled back so tightly that her thick eyebrows rose in arcs like curling caterpillars. And that mustache. The chief matron jerked the chains, and I clanged and rattled after the others into some sort of lobby. Here, the first rule was explained to us. You all heard about cleanliness being next to godliness? A rhetorical question, obviously. Here comes your first crack at the Almighty. Enforced fumigation. I was stripped of my lovely clothes and sent through a torture chamber of foul-smelling tubs and disinfectants. But, I protested, as I was prodded after the Herodans to run the gauntlet. They need it! I don't! Rule number two. Never speak unless spoken to by your superiors. I clamped my mouth shut and came out the other end decontaminated, deloused, and thoroughly humiliated. Next, Bertha and several equally odious henchwomen ordered us to stand at attention. When the bedraggled line, clad only in prison-issue undershifts, met their satisfaction, another woman made her entrance. I knew instantly this one was different. She lost no time in verifying the fact. I am Mrs. Jessie D. Hodder, the superintendent of Sherburn Prison for Women. She stood a safe distance from us, regally poised within stiff folds of gray taffeta. While you are inmates here, you will be under constant supervision. You will learn that nothing is private. You will be personally responsible to me for everything. She paused to allow her words to register. You are here for a reason, for crimes you have committed. When you leave, your debt to society for those crimes will be paid. Until then, you will be punished. I expect you to do suitable penance. I expect you to suffer for your salvation. She glared down the line of misfits. I expect you to follow our rules. More rules? There were more. All profanity, tobacco, alcohol, and coarse behavior are banned. 
you will adapt yourselves to a routine of early rising, regular work, and habits of neatness and industry. When you have mastered these, you will become eligible to enter our merit system and receive rewards, such as the posting of one letter per month and the receipt of packages and selected correspondence from the outside world. You may even be allowed the privilege of decorating your own cells. Conform within our system, and you will learn that Sherburne's mission is not to raise a hatchet, but the sword of the spirit against human wrecks such as yourselves. The superintendent nodded to re-emphasize her message and departed, leaving me shivering in my half-nakedness, also leaving me wondering if Sherburne's merit system was worth attaining. I had no one waiting for a monthly letter, no one anxious to send me packages. The final insult came next. It was the prison uniform waiting for me. A nasty, scratchy, blue serge dress. To call it a dress did honor to the garment. It hung like a sack. And the shoes they gave me. Farmer's boots were more elegant. Fury fueled my outburst. What have you done with my beautiful suit? And my hat? Got us a rebel, have we? Already defying rule number two. Straight to your cell without supper. It'll be my honor to escort you personally, your elegance. I was shoved down a dark, dank corridor and into a room. It held nothing but an iron bedstead, a washstand, a chamber pot, and a barred window. The door slammed shut. I raced to the tiny open grating set in the door defied rule number two again. When do I get out of here? The most important rule of all, when you figured out you're in prison, and I let you. Not an auspicious beginning to my new career. I flung myself on the bed and pounded the hard mattress with clenched fists until I'd vented my spleen. A most difficult night followed. When morning arrived, I dragged myself from the bed, washed my face, and straightened the wrinkles in my blue serge. I'd gotten myself in here. I would learn to play the new game. I'd learn to play by the rules. All but one. From my long night, I'd rested a truth. Yesterday's half-naked lineup before the superintendent had been orchestrated for a purpose. It was meant to be degrading. It was meant to emphasize Mrs. Hodder's three critical words about prison. Nothing is private. I vowed by all that was holy to keep part of me private. Bolstered by my new resolutions, I was released into my first day of prison life. Unfortunately, my reputation had already preceded me, at least the saga of the journey to Sherburne and my initial reactions to the place. Try living down being a prima donna. It was Mama Creary who saved me, just tucked me under her scrawny wing and clawed at anyone who gave me a hard time. After a month or two, I learned to protect myself. After a month or two, I even began to accept my situation. The uneasy truce lasted until that morning in the laundry, when the do-gooder arrived and Ma's pudding got cooked. I was filing back to the laundry after lunch when Gladys, the trustee, pulled me out of line. Mrs. Hodder wants to see you immediately, Libby. 
the spring went out of my step. Mrs. Hodder's stern gray presence had floated over my days and insinuated itself into my dreams since the moment I'd arrived. The superintendent even put the fear of the Lord into Mama McCreary. Gad, did I overstarch her petticoats? Did I understarch them? She was crinkling in fine fettle last I heard. Gladys tossed her golden locks. She had amazing hair for a woman of almost forty, but then she'd had the wherewithal to look after it. The girl said she'd made a mint on her baby farm. That was before the authorities dug up her backyard and found all the newborns planted in neat rows like cabbages. She'd been looking after the babies for unwed mothers who'd dumped them on her with maintenance money. She wasn't a lifer, but she'd be around a good long time after I cleared out of this place. Some things I couldn't stomach, and Gladys's scam was one of them. I developed hives just getting too close to her. But she led me up the four flights of stairs and to the superintendent's door before I could even begin to scratch. Gladys wafted away, all affectation. I nearly choked on the woman's conceit. After what she'd done? Then I remembered where I was. And why. I paused to push my steam-limp black hair behind my ears and give a hairpin an extra shove. I knocked. Enter. I poked in my head, then made my body follow. Ah, Libby. Ma'am? I bobbed a little half-curtsy. As you were. Mrs. Hodder's office was like an eagle's nest sitting in the topmost tower of Sherburne. Her petticoats crinkled as she moved from her desk to the windows overlooking the fortress-like compound and walled grounds beyond. The superintendent focused on the thirty-